I love this age group because your minds are open. You have uh, the ability to think. You have the ability to set some things in place at this age that will be with you for the rest of your life. And so before we jump into the budgets necessarily, I want to give you three points that I think would be helpful for you. I love the way that Mr. Jovichin mentioned stewardship, right? God has given you several things to be stewards over. He's given you your life, right? You have to be stewards over your life, your physical life, your spiritual life, your emotional life. You're in charge of some of that. Uh, he's given you the word of God that you are stewards over. Are you absorbing it? Are you studying it? Are you applying it? Lots of things that he gives you that you need to be stewards over. And one of them is money, right? Money or finances. You are a steward over the money that God has given you. And someday you're going to stand before him and he's going to say, hey, I gave you a lot of things in your life and I gave you a lot of money. What did you do with it? Did you waste it by playing Monopoly all the time? What did you do with the money that I gave you? And if you think about that for a minute, that's a pretty scary thought. I mean, a lot of things in your life are going to become very, very clear very, very quickly, right? So whenever we talk about money, I always like to talk about being a good steward. Um, so point number one, though, I'm going to give you three easy things that I hope you can remember the rest of your life. And these are not complicated. I didn't learn this in my accounting classes or my experience. I learned it by reading God's word, trying to apply it to my life, and then helping other people that get into trouble with their finances. Three simple little things. The first one is, and you can write this down, give as much as you can. Really give to the local church as much as you can. That's one of the primary things that God wants you to do with the money that he's given to you is he wants you to turn back around and give it to the local church. That's the entity God has set up. We're members of. It needs money to function. Uh, all of you may not end up at Compass Bible Church. I don't care where you end up when you get older, but you need to give as much money to the church as you possibly can. So open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 8. We're just going to work through this passage just a little bit, and hopefully I'm going to show you how important it was as Paul is talking to the Corinthians. And uh, I don't know if you've got a hard copy Bible or you have an electronic version, but there's a little, little header at the top of that that says, encouragement to give generously. God wants us to give generously. That's why my point was, give as much as you can. If you do that, you'll end up being a generous giver. But let's look at this passage together. I'll read it if you just follow along. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So Paul's writing to the Corinthians, and he's talking about the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So he's looking at them and saying, they had affliction, but they had joy, they had poverty, and all of that resulted in generosity. These were generous people. For they gave according to their means, and that's something that we're going to talk about. When we give as much as we can, you can't give more than you have, right? I can't give a $25 million to Compass 2020. 
I can't do that. I don't have $20 million or $25 million to give the Compass 2020 or to the church. We should never be put in a place where we're giving, I say as much as you can, don't give more than you actually have. And they didn't necessarily do that until we read along, right? For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. So I think they kind of looked at their needs, did a real little adjustment, readjustment, and said, hey, maybe I don't need to have that Starbucks, or maybe I don't need to go to Pete's, or maybe I don't need to spend that money so I can give more to the need that was before them. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, which you're always called to do. Give yourselves first to the Lord. Follow hard after him. Do what he tells you to do in his word. And then by the will of God to us. So they gave financially. Accordingly, we urge Titus that has, he had started so he should complete among you this act of grace. And then verse 7. But as you excel in everything, Paul wants him to excel in everything. PJ wants you to excel in everything. In faith, he wants you to excel in faith. He wants you to excel in speech. He wants you to excel in knowledge and in all earnestness and in our love for you. But then he says, see that you excel in this act of grace also. He wants you to excel in giving. And I'm going to translate that to say, give as much as you can. Got that point? Point number one, it's easy, right? Give as much as you can. Point number two, oh, I got another one, wait. Turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 9, 7. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, before we go to point number two. We're going to give as much as we can. We've just seen how they were very generous in 2 Corinthians 8. Now we're looking at 2 Corinthians 9, and Paul says, Each one must give us as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So I don't want you to feel like, Oh, I was told I have to give as much as I can, and I'm oppressed and I'm depressed. I don't want to do this. God wants you to be very happy about what you do. He wants you to excel in the grace of giving. He wants you to give as much as you can, but you should have joy in that. I remember Pastor Pete taught on this in men's Bible study once a long time ago. He said, we should hear laughter when people drop money in the offering. You did an offering tonight. Did anybody laugh? Were you happy? Were you cheerful to do that? God really wants you to do that. So give as much as you can and be very happy about it. Point number one, we're done with that. Point number two, save as much as you can, right? So we're going to give as much as we can, and we're going to save as much as we possibly can. I'll tell you why in a minute. Can you think about Genesis 41? Joseph's in Egypt. Um, He has a dream. uh, Pharaoh has a dream. He goes to Joseph. He says, tell me what the dream means. Does anybody remember that? When they're going to have a big famine? And what did Joseph tell the Pharaoh to do? What do you tell them to do? For the next four or five years, we're going to take, what, one-fifth of everything that comes in, and we're going to set it aside because we're going to have, what, seven years of famine. He told them, let's be wise. Let's think about this. We may not have as much money uh, when we need it if we don't save. So you're going to give as much as you can. You're going to save as much as you can, especially as college students, right? You're going to work during the summer, and you've got to save all that money because you're going to need it when you're in school. 
Maybe you're working in school too, but even then, I want you to give as much as you can, and I want you to save as much as you can. Look also at Proverbs 6, 6 to 8. Everybody loves to look at that when they're talking about saving because we look at a very complex situation that we see in life and in Scripture. Very complex. You're college students. You might not get it. You guys awake? Okay. Proverbs 6, 6 to 8. Go to the ant. If ants can figure this out, why can't we figure it out? Go to the ant, O slugger. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares for her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. So the ant figures out a way that, you know, there's stuff I got to do now because I need to eat later. There might be some savings I have to do now because someday I may need to draw on that savings. So it's really important for you to think ahead and to save because someday you're going to wish you had some savings. Something's going to happen, and you're not going to have any money because you spent it all. You gave as much as you could, but then you spent the rest on yourself, and you have no money and savings to handle the new tires, the flat tire that I got, the, blow, the transmission that went out in your car. Whatever it is, you need some savings. All right, point number three. So far, easy, right? Save as much as you can. Excuse me, give as much as you can, save as much as you can. And then number three, never spend more than you have. Never spend more than you have. If you could follow those three principles, you will never have financial problems the rest of your life. How great would it be if you got to my age, which is really old, And you can look back and say, I never had any financial problems in my life. Wouldn't that be cool? You can do that by never spending more than you have. What happens when you spend more than you have? How can you do that? Credit cards. Is that what somebody said? Oh, yeah, I need to have that. Let's just go put it on the credit card. And the credit card statement comes. And what do you do? Oh, I don't have the money. I don't have savings. Look, there's this minimum payment I can make. How cool is the minimum payment? Let's just make that. The next thing you know, now you have serious credit problems. I know we'll go to mom and dad. Hey, mom and dad, give me uh, $5,000. I need to buy a new car. What do you think they're going to say? No. That's okay. I'll go to my brother or my sister. They'll help me out. They're going to say no unless their last name is Rockefeller or something. And they're loaded. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 37, 21. Because the problem with debt is debt can rule you. And I never want debt to rule you. Because once you borrow money, you have to pay it back, and you have to pay it back on the terms that you agree to. And very rarely do you get to change those terms. Let's take a look what God says about people that borrow money and they don't pay it back. Just assuming that maybe you get in trouble, you borrow money, and you can't pay it back. Let's see what God says about that. These are strong words, too. Psalm 37, 21. The wicked borrows but does not pay back. But the righteous is generous and gives. The wicked. You want to fall into that category? 
Do you want God to look at you and call you wicked? The wicked borrows but not does not pay back. Hey, Mom and Dad, can I borrow $5,000 because I need a new car? I'll pay you back for sure. They never pay you back. And God's looking down on it, and he is calling you wicked. I don't want you to be called wicked by God, ever. Right? Now, we all make mistakes, and you learn from those mistakes, and there are ways that society and culture says you can get around that. But you can't get around what the Word of God says. He's always going to look at this and say, you fall into my wicked category. So point number three, never spend more than you have. That way it'll never result in you not paying back what you've borrowed. So that's it. I mean, we could just close it up, go home and say, hey, this big, brilliant guy that PJ said, I can impart great wisdom to you. All he said was I had to give as much as I can. I have to save as much as I can and never spend more than I have. That's it. Have a nice life. I'll never see you in my office. <laughs> Trying to figure out why you have $25,000 of credit card debt, $50,000 of student loans, you're unemployed, and you want to declare bankruptcy, and you come into my office and ask me what I should do. And I pull out Psalm 3721, and I say, what do you want to do? And then after they shake and they cry for a while... We talk about other things that they can do as a good citizen of the United States because we do have some laws that let you get around that. So how do we make sure that we don't do that? There's two types of way, two types of budgeting. We're going to talk about budgeting, right? Budgeting is fun. It is not a burden. It's easy. It's quick. It doesn't take much time. There are two ways to do it. There's the informal way and there's the formal way. So I'm going to talk about the informal way, which is the way most of society in life does this. Most people I talk to, they do it informally. They have no idea what they make. They have no idea what they spend. They don't know where their money goes. All they know is at the end of the month, I don't have any money. That's the informal way. And you can do that in a godly way. And this is how you can do it. You can get on your, your church's website, and you can go to their payment site, you know, donate to the church, give to the church, They'll take you to push pay, and you can say, you know what, I know what I'm making every month, and I'm going to give 10% of that. Now, we could spend a whole night on giving and talk about, well, what's the right percentage? And that's why I had the earlier verse, God loves a cheerful giver. He just wants you to be happy with what you do. But we can talk about that at a different time. But you can set up your giving, and it's automatic. I'm going to do it every month. Well, um, that's the best way to do it. And then you don't think about it, and you know that you've got it done, and God wants your first fruits. So you set that up. <clears throat> you give as much as you can. Then you go to your employer, and you can say, hey, you know my direct deposit check that you handle every month? I want $50 a month to go into a savings account. And they'll do that for you. They'll do direct deposit. They'll take your paycheck, and they'll put it in your checking account, and they'll put some of it in the savings account. If you do those two things and just live on whatever you have, then you've given as much as you can, as long as you were generous, right? But you can do that in the informal way. Uh, you can give in an informal way. You can save in the informal way. And whatever's left, just spend it, right? Just spend it. And if, if you have more left at the end of the month, put it into savings, and now you've saved as much as you could. That's the informal way. Isn't that how most of you work right now? Hey, I got this paycheck. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go spend it all. Hopefully you give as much as you can and you save a little bit of it. Let's look at the formal way, okay? Because I like, 
I like numbers, and maybe you're going to say, I'm never going to do this, but someday you might. And this could be helpful, because if you don't have enough money at the end of the month, then you're spending too much. And if I come to you and say, where are you spending, and you can't tell me, then that kind of shows me you're not being a good steward of the money that God gave you. So I want you to be able to know what you're spending, and based on that, you can do a budget. And when you do a budget, maybe you can say, hey, I can give more, or I could save more. So let's look at the formal part. That's the green sheet there that you have. There's, there was supposed to be a front and a back. Our creative admin decided that there is a front and a back, but I think you have to flip it over or something. And so I just want to work through that a little bit with you. Um, the front is, a, I'm going to call it a summary, and the back as you flip it over, um, I call that the details. Now there's, there's an electronic spreadsheet that, can we throw that up on the front screen now? Maybe you're going to tell me I have to have it here. There we go. So whenever you talk about budgets, and again, we want to do a budget workshop, um, we got to decide what categories we're going to budget. And this is where a lot of people fail. So here, here's a little hint. Have as few categories as you can live with, right? Don't have 100 categories. Because if you have 100 categories, it's going to drive you crazy, and you're going to get bogged down, and you're not going to want to do this, and you flip back into the easy way to do it, and you'll never know how you spend your money. You'll never know whether you're saving enough or giving enough. So I have like 10 categories. I have giving to your church, CBC, savings, your home, food and cash, household items, interest, insurance and medical, telephone, auto, entertainment, gifts, and then I have something that says total money out. And at the top, there's a total money in. Then if you flip on the back, you will see some categories. The first category you're going to see is rent, right? So how many live at home? Good number of you. Do your parents charge you rent? Oh, some of them do, some of them don't. Praise the Lord if your parents don't, uh, unless, you know, you're 28 or 35 or 40, and then I need to have a conversation with your parents because they need to charge you rent because they want you to be responsible human beings. But um, someday you're going to pay rent. And so we're going to kind of look at a real budget here. So I figured, how can I be real practical? So you know what I did this afternoon? I went on the World Wide Web. Yes, even accounting people can go on the web. And I took a look at Vantis. Does everybody know the Vantis apartments right over here? You don't know that. Okay. If you go out here on Columbia, turn left on Columbia, turn right, go underneath the 73, and on that corner, kind of kitty corner, there's a brand new apartment complex. You can rent a one-bedroom apartment for only $2,049. So if you want to move out of your parents' house and rent an apartment, $2,049. Now that's the low end, right? It went from $2,049 to $3,500. So I don't know if this one's by the elevator and the bathrooms or the uh, air conditioning equipment. I'm not sure. Now, if you wanted to share that one bedroom with somebody because you got somebody here that, hey, hey, let's just go rent a room together. Well, you could split it. It's only going to cost you 1000 bucks a month. Now, that sounded a little better, right? Or you could get a two-bedroom for $2,300 a month, and three of you could split it at $775. Now, somebody's got to sign on the lease, 
and be responsible for the whole thing. Because Vantus, those guys, they don't like having three separate tenants for their apartment. So then you've got to find the, the guy whose dad has the most money who's willing to sign on the lease, and maybe you can get in. But I also looked at the Liso Town Center. It's about the same, a little cheaper. 958 if you split it, 7042 if you have three of them. I looked at City Lights, 1893 for a one bedroom, 2298. I even went into Laguna Niguel, 1800, 2200. So I don't know. What do you think you're going to pay for rent if you're going to move out? Let's put 800 in. Oops. Oops. I'm not a Mac guy. There we go. So let's just say your rent's going to be 800 bucks. Then my next category is repairs and maintenance. What happens when something breaks? Say, ah, oh, I know what happens. You call the landlord. They come and fix everything. Well, only if it's the landlord's responsibility. If you broke something, forget it. You're going to have to fix that. But let's just say you're not going to break anything. And this is, you know, we're, we've got three people now staying here, right? So there's utilities. Yes, you have to pay electricity and water and trash and that dreaded Internet thing that you all have to have. So how much do you think that's going to cost a month in utilities? This is a workshop. Now work with me. 120 a month? Does that cover Internet or is that just utilities? I think that's just utilities. It gets hot in the Lisa Viejo. We're working on a monthly budget. I've seen electric electricity costs in Elisa Viejo of 300 a month just for electricity, not water and gas, because somebody thought they needed to have it very cool all day long, even when they're not there. Okay, so that's our house cost. We're going to cut 920 bucks a month just to be rent a two-bedroom apartment with three people in it, right? How's your health insurance? Oh, I'm on my mom and dad's, right? No, I actually, um, they take it out of my paycheck over through my job. Okay, some of you that are employed, praise the Lord for that. They will take money out of your, your check, or you're on Obamacare, and Obamacare insurance is available to all of you. It's called Covered California. You can go to that website. You can punch in some information, and because you're, you're college students and you're broke, you have no money, there's a lot of cheap insurance for you. So I'm going to put nothing in the monthly payment. But then there's deductibles. Even though those of you that have some of that, you're going to get sick every once in a while. You don't know when. You pay 20 bucks when you go in. You pay 30 bucks when you go in. Let's just for our budget say it's 10 bucks a month. Some of that includes vision and dental. I don't know if it includes that for you. Um, how many of you are under 26? Most of you. So you can stay on your parents until you're 26, um, even if you're married. You can stay on your parents' policy, and maybe they'll pay the premium. They may or may not pay the deductibles, and maybe you go to the dentist, and maybe you go to vision. Maybe you don't. Since you're broke college students, let's not even go to the dentist or get our eyes checked. Your mom or dad will say, you've got to go to the dentist. You can say, I'm a broke college student. And maybe they'll help you out with it a little bit. Car payments. Do we have car payments? Yeah. Some of you have cars that maybe somebody gave to you. So not everybody does, but 150 bucks a month, 200 bucks a month? 213. It's not $500 a month for the Mercedes that you really want to drive. 
How about DMV? You know, there's registration on cars, right? So you have to pay the DMV. That might be at least $15 a month. You need insurance. Ooh, your age group, really expensive, right? $100 a month? For you guys that have cars that your parents don't just pay it for you? Let's just say 100 The adults in the room were saying, Rick, that's way too low. How about gas? 50 bucks a month? Oh, 50 bucks every time you fill up because you got the big <laughs> Ford F-150. No? 37, this girl knows her numbers right here. 37 to 42 every time you fill up four times a month, that's 160 bucks? What do you think? 160. You get the oil changed, or you're just going to run it into the ground and someday it's going to stop working? <laughs> prepaid services. Yeah, you buy new, you get prepaid services. You buy something not new, the prepaid services is called that savings I was talking about earlier, right? I mean, you got to have some repair money in because most of you can't afford a brand new car. So let's. Let's say 10 bucks a month, that gives you $120 for the year, that changes the oil once, it doesn't fix anything else. <laughs> and I know that because I've seen your cars in the parking lot. Oh, here's one we like. Entertainment, date night. Now the guys better be higher than the girls in this one. I'm just telling you. What are you gonna spend on date night? Number one, you need to go on dates. That's the first thing. Right, PJ? Should they go on dates? Yes. Okay. Go on dates. Guys should spend money on it. 50 bucks a week, four weeks, $200 a month. Sounds a little high, doesn't it? Guys are saying, yeah. All right, I'll go to 100. Meals out. You didn't like the pizza tonight. You're hanging out with your buds on the way home. Hey, let's go stop at... Panda, Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A, eight bucks for a dinner, right? How often are you going to do that? Now, in my book, you're going to do it too often because you know, you know what I'm setting you up for here. When we get to the end of it, you're not going to have enough money, right? I'm trying to teach you the process of how to do this, how to think through how am I going to spend my money? And you've got to look at all these categories because if you don't, I don't have a hundred of them, right? I only have 10 and there's some detail. But I bet on average, you guys spend at least 20 bucks a week running through the drive-thru. That's another 100 or thereabouts for the month. That's probably low. Let's put it in anyway. Internet, you've told me in that really low utility number that we had for our place. Internet was included. You don't have cable TV because you all watch free, Hulu, whatever, whatever. Gym membership, you probably don't have. And you're never going to go on a vacation. Question. <laughs> Okay, twenty nine ninety nine a month. They have some of those in San Clemente. You're, I'm afraid to go in them. But that's what I call a discretionary item. Now, maybe for you it's not discretionary. Maybe the gym is, like, super important. And I'm not here to tell you how to prioritize other than give as much as you can, save as much as you can, and never go into debt. If you do those three things, you'll never see me. 
So I'm happy to put 30 bucks a month in for a gym membership. But if you can't make it month to month, then I'm saying go down to the high school and run around the track. Do the stairs. Do push-ups. Do pull-ups. You know, you, and take your phone and listen to your favorite music. Got another category called gifts, clothes, and other. I don't know how, what shape your computers are in. Let's say they're all okay. Personal care. You get haircuts? You do your nails? Do you do any of that kind of stuff? You do some of that, right? You kind of forget all the, the areas that you spend money in, right? So personal care, I don't know. What do you think? 20 bucks a month? 20 is 240 for the year. 240? 50. All the girls are saying 50. The guys are saying, I'm not spending any money. My dad buzzes my hair in the garage. No, they did that when you were seven. They don't do that when you're in college. I'll go with 50. This is your budget, not mine. In clothes, everybody says, I don't buy money. I don't spend money on clothes. Everybody gives me the clothes that I need. Someday you're going to have a job and you're going to buy clothes. Gifts. I'm going to a shower. I've got a lot of weddings coming up. I know there's a couple people in this room that are getting married, and you're going to get invited to a shower, and you're going to be expected to bring. Oh, who said that? <laughs> Abby Larson. It's Christmas. You're going to give your siblings a gift, your mom and dad a gift. This, this is discres discretionary again, right? Some things are fixed. You can't change them. Some are discretionary because you can't afford it. And there's no shame in not being able to afford it. If you went up to Abby and said, Abby, I love you like no other sister in Christ. I'm so excited for you. Thank you for inviting me to your shower. I'm a broke college student. I can't, I can't give you a gift. I hope that doesn't create a problem for you. Do you know what she's going to do? She's going to hug you and say it is no problem. Money should never come between friends or family. I have four grown children. I forbid them from getting us Christmas presents. I forbid it because three of them can't afford it. And I don't want them to feel the pain or the responsibility or the guilt of not being able to do that. And you shouldn't either. Because if you were Abby and the roles were reversed and she came to you, I should have checked with Abby before I talked to her tonight. <laughs> If, if the roles were reversed and she came to you and said, I don't have any money, I'm sorry, I didn't save, or I'm not working, or I'm paying off student loans, I just, I can't afford it. What would you tell her? I mean, you're not a very good friend. You wouldn't do that. So take some courage in those areas. We all get hung up in it. We're going to send you this worksheet when we're done. We were down here on this little details tab. And now we're going to go back to the cash flow tab. And you can see that certain numbers are already filled in. So if we went over those on that second little tab, they automatically flow up to this one. But we haven't done everything because we haven't talked about food. What's it cost for you to eat a month? Well, my parents provide all of my food. You should ask them. What's your food budget? 
And maybe you got three or four siblings and two of them, so it's six. And you can't just take their number and divide by six because that doesn't work either. Um, I did this little estimate here. I don't know if it's going to show up. Can you see that? Look at that food. I'm sorry, it's small. Let's see what happens. Oh, look at that. At $250 a month, there's four weeks in a month except for two months where there's five, so this example doesn't work all the time. That means you got $63 a week to live on. There's seven days in a week. It gives you $9 a day for food. So you could choose whatever number you want. Um, with PJ, if you do, Go through premarital with him, and you come into my office for a little session, and you put 250 bucks a month in. I'm going to look at you and say, "Really?" <laughs> and then you remember this because it's nine dollars a day. Can you do it on 250? If you work real hard, you might be able to. And you got to keep the other ones in balance. So, just for grins, I'm going to I'm going to let you go with 250, even with that example. Here's some household items that I like to talk about that are not in the food budget. These are important things like toothpaste. You don't always consume toothpaste, but you need it. Toilet paper, other things that you have to buy that aren't really considered food. Now, if you go to Target and you buy all your gifts and you buy all your food and you buy all the other stuff that we've talked about, it's going to take a little work to break these down a little bit. But let's just assume for a minute that um, got 20 $20 a month in household items. Interest. If you never spend more than you have, then you don't have any interest in your life. The reality is I know that some of you do because I heard some of you have car loans, so you got to pay the car loans back. So I usually put whatever your car loan, well, we have the, the payment for cars in the, in the details section, but if you have credit card debt, this is where that would go. If you have student loan debt, and you're paying 100 bucks a month on your student loans, you're all students now. So you're, you're gravy, right? Most of you, not all of you, maybe. So all you're doing is borrowing and spending. Sooner or later, when you get out and get a job, you're going to have to start paying that back. Almost done knocking them out. That's very exciting for me to hear. But I'm going to assume for this budget anyway that we're at zero for interest. Cell phone bill? I'm on my mom and dad's plan. I don't pay anything. You sh 40 bucks? Maybe you're on your parents. And let your parents do that. I've done that with my kids. It's cheaper for you to be on my plan, and they just write me a check. And it's good for them, good for me, and there's nothing wrong with that. So look, I've added most everything up. That's only $2,000 a month that I need to live. Sharing an apartment at Vantis with two other people. Oh, but you say, Rick, there's nothing in the giving column or the savings column. You're right. So let's look at the income side because everybody needs income, right? So let's say you got a job for $36,000 a year. That sounds pretty good, right? It's a good starting salary. Um, it's, you're not going to be able to, to sustain a life on that, but... If that's 40 hours a week, then you're making $17.31 an hour, $692 uh, dollars per week. And then the government comes in and takes everything that they take, 
which is never any fun, but that's what governments do. So I'm going to shrink this a little bit. So if you're making 36000 a year and you get paid twice a month, what you're really going to get is $1,200 per check or $2,400 net cash per month. You said, Rick, great, let's go home because you only had 2043 I made it. Okay, well, let's put up here $2,400 a month. And now there's a negative number at the bottom, minus 123, because my model says you're going to give at least 10% to your church. And again, I'm hoping you can give more than that. Um, and you're going to save 10% of that number. And so when you add all those numbers up, you're really spending 2500 a month. So you're $123 short. So what do we do? We get a credit card and we float it. We put four people in the apartment. We don't go out on date night as often. We don't go out to eat as often. We start looking at some of these that are discretionary. Guess what? Your rent's not discretionary. Your utilities aren't discretionary. Your medical's way low because I only gave you $10 a month for the deductible or the copay. Your auto co costs, maybe you get rid of that car payment, and now we're in good shape. But this is a good tool for us to take a look at and see what that monthly budget's going to look like. We talked a little bit about interest costs. I wanted to show you this little tab. If you went out and borrowed $7,500 and you could find a credit card company that would give you a 10% rate and you paid that over five years, which is 60 months, you would pay $159 a month times the same 60 months. Over, over that loan period, you're going to pay 9561 You guys following me that first column? You borrowed 7500 to begin with. You just paid interest of $2,061. If the interest rate went to 24%, you've paid $5,445 in interest. If you think you can borrow $250,000 to buy a house in Blythe, <laughs> because <laughs> ain't no such thing as a... This is the loan amount, but there's no such thing as a $300,000 house within 10 miles of here. But just to show you the principle, at a 5% mortgage, and rates are a little below that, but you borrow $250,000, you are paying $483,000 back, you're paying $233,000 in interest over that 30-year loan, almost the total amount that you borrowed. That's why I don't like interest. That's why I said don't spend more than you have, because credit cards are bad, other personal loans are bad, and I really don't want you to get stuck in that loop. Also looked at a new car. Say we bought a $25,000 car, we put 5% down. 12%'s high, but your college students, I don't know what they really charge you. But the same drill, you're still going to pay $6,400 over five, a five-year period just to buy a car. We talked a little bit about savings, and I know this is super small too, but let's see if we can do this. 
Let's say you agreed to save $250 a month. And you could make 2.5% interest on that. And you were just going to put $250 away every month for 10 years. You know what you're going to have at the end of 10 years? $34,000. Now, 2.5% interest rates about, if you're really hard and you look, look around, you might be able to find that. But you see the way that this interest works? At the end of the first month, you have $250.52. You make this about the same interest because of the rounding thing, but then it just starts to grow. See how that interest number changes every month? Because you're adding 250 to it, and you're adding 250 to it, and you're adding 250 to it. You get to the end, and you've saved a lot of money. What if you were able to do $750 a month? Over 10 years, now you got $100,000. That's a lot of money. Now, most of you can't afford to do that. That's why I put 250. Maybe you can only do 50 bucks a month. But you still end up with a fairly decent amount of money when we're all done. So I want to come back to the cash flow. I want to make sure everybody understood how this worked. Um, I know PJ said that he would be happy to send this out to you, and you can change anything you want. If you do do premarital with me, and like some of you are doing premarital with Pastor Mike, and he does his own thing, so you don't get to come and see me. But um, if you do it with PJ, you come and see me. We'll, we'll just do this, and I'll force you to do this so I can show you whether you can afford to do what it is you think you're going to do. And if we went to the detail schedule again and we said, I'm not renting with three other guys, I'm just going to spend the 2000 a month, You can see that has a pretty nasty thing on the bottom there. We're short $1,300. So then what do we do? We get a job that pays us more, right? Or we save up money until we can afford to have a, a deficit for a long time. On the um, estimates tab where I put in the 36000 a year, I actually did a little tax estimate so the tax withholding numbers are correct. Um, you don't have to worry too much about it. I gave you new rent information. So you could say, that's too much work. I'm going to go. Remember you said there was a, there's the other way? And if you do the other way, I'm happy with you. As long as you saved in this scenario, what were we saving? 240 a month. Well, you might come back and tell me, you know what I'm really netting per month is 4000 a month a month, then I want you to at least give 400 and I want you to save 400 And then we get to the bottom and it's going to be just about break even. So if you're going to rent a place on your own, pay your own utilities, still be broke college kids, you need at least 4000 a month net after all the taxes are taken out to be able to live and survive. Now let's say, hey, I'm all into the complicated side. I want to do that because I want to know what I spend. Because when, something happens when you do the detailed accounting of where you're spending what you're spending. You realize that you're spending too much money in certain categories. And until you just go through the process and do it, you don't even know, right? And I think it's a problem to know. So there's a couple tools out there where you can keep track of what you're spending. 
I put one of them in this spreadsheet so you can use that if you want. Some of you out there may have heard of Mint, www.mint.com. Um, it's a great budgeting tool, an actual tool, where and it's free, totally free, doesn't cost you anything. Uh, you can put your information in. It'll take your bank statement information out and automatically feed into it. You determine the categories. It'll tell you exactly what you're spending per month. You can even put budgets in against it so it can show you where you're over budget or under budget for that time frame. Um, there's a couple other freebies out there. There's some that you can pay for if you feel like you just can't get your arms around it. Or you can use this spreadsheet and do the exact same thing that all of those others will do it, will do. And it will only take you, with your active brains, an hour a week. Maybe only an hour a month. Because what do I want you to do? I want you to take your bank statement, right? Once you take your January bank statement, you do know what bank statements are, right? Some of you don't even get those anymore because you do everything on the phone. I know this because my kids do it that way. But you can also get a statement and you can print out everything that happened in your bank account that month. And you could go to this spreadsheet and you can see it says check number, but you don't write checks, so there's no check numbers. But the first one happened to be on January 1st, a push pay, the Compass Bible Church. You just fill that in. How long does it take you to type? You guys are quick. I gave Compass Bible Church 125 bucks. Which category do I want to put that in? Well, I want to put that in giving because that's where it went. Easy, right? This is easy stuff. Second check, I did a bill pay. I sent $125 to Vanguard because they have this really good investment that's earning me 5 or 6%. And um, not that Vanguard does that, but wherever you save your money, so you put it in this amount column after you've typed in bill pay, you put the date in, you put Vanguard, you put it in the savings column. And then I'm renting a place at City Lights. There's four of us. I'm paying 750 It's also a bill pay. Where does it go? It goes into the home category. I went to Trader Joe's to buy my food. Trader Joe's is expensive. You can find better places, but you guys like your food, so go to Trader Joe's. Where does it go? It goes in the food and cash portion. And then you paid your visa bill. The visa bill was $225. Now you're going to have to do a little more work. I realize this is harder because now you're going to have to pull out the old visa bill, and you're going to have to say, where did I spend money on the visa bill? Well, in this particular case, 50 of it was for food, 150 of it was for the auto because I made a payment on my credit card so I could earn miles or cash back. And I put $25 in entertainment. I call it here fun. Anyway, if you do that, I went to urgent care. That was a bummer. I had to pay the Verizon bill, even though we budgeted 50. Or did we say 40? It was only 40. I took cash out of the ATM. I need to change the Verizon bill here. Took $100 cash out. I did all these things. How long would it take you to go through your bank statement, put it in here, put it in a category? Seriously, how long would it take? No more than an hour. A little typing, a little looking at every charge, every debit, every Starbucks, every Pete's Coffee, everything you did. If it took you more than an hour or two, then uh, PJ's got to have a different conversation with you. This is just really isn't hard.
And then this will just automatically add it all up. And then it automatically pulls over the budget that you just agreed on. Because if you're a geek, you can see that I've got a formula in here that says just pull it out of cash flow G10. And you'll know whether you're over or you're under budget in any of the categories that you have. But this is just a way for you to take a look at how can I budget and then how can I keep track of it. And you can, you can do iMoney, you can do Quicken, you can do I need a budget online. There's lots of different ways for you to budget. All I'm suggesting you do is you budget and then you track it because that way you can find out where you're spending your money. You can do a better job of budgeting. And you can give as much as you can to the church. And you can save as much as you can. And then what was the third point? Never spend more than you have. We're going to look at one more verse, and then I'm going to take questions. Okay? Open your Bibles to Hebrews 13.5. Hebrews 13.5. Because our flesh and our minds, we want to go here. Because this is something all of us have to do. We either do it the sloppy, easy way, or you do it the sophisticated way. But we can get wrapped up, and money can become more important than it should be in our lives. We want to grow in the grace of giving, but we don't want to neglect the other things that God has told us to do. Hebrews 13.5, keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So some of you are going to someday maybe come in and have a million dollar a year salary. And they're going to say, Rick, I'm giving as much as I can. I give $500,000 away every year. And I'm saving $400,000 a year. And I'm only living on $100,000. i am going to say, great. If you come in and say, I'm giving 100000 a year. I'm saving 100000 a year. And I'm living on 800000 a year. I'm going to go, then you haven't followed my three rules. Give as much as you can. You're good stewards. God has given you the money to do something with it. And he wants you to be generous back to the church. And he wants you to take care of the rainy day because everybody's going to have them. You're going to have a great job. You're going to lose it. And you're going to say, now what do I do? Move back in with mom and dad. Move in with Pastor PJ because he's got an extra room. Wherever you go, I don't know where you go. Move in with the Logiers because they haven't had a kid yet. You know, you can stay in their back bedroom. But seriously, don't let the love of money capture you. Don't go overboard on this. Don't spend every waking moment and every waking day of trying to figure out how much do I need, how much do I have, because then it's looking like it's all about you. And all you care about in your life is your money. So there needs to be balance there. Okay. What kind of questions did you, would you have? What didn't I touch on? What do you think would be helpful? Do they never ask questions, PJ? They just... It's, it's a slow start. Oh, wait, we got to start here. Okay. But I can go to you first if you want. I was just wondering, at this, where they're at their life stage, thinking about retirement. I know that's something that we've all got different opinions on as believers, but even, would you even recommend parceling that out as something separate for savings at this point, or just focus on savings in general? If you've given as much as you can to the church... A part of the savings could be retirement. How, how old are we? 20 to 24? 
25, 26, who give me 27? Um, you should start planning for retirement as soon as you possibly can, even if it's 10 bucks a month, right? If you can do that, that would be great. Once you get a real job, not that some of you don't have real jobs yet, but once you get a real job and you're fully employed, your company may have a program called a 401k or a 403b. That's what we have here at church. And they will actually match whatever you put in. So if you say, okay, Compass Bible Church, if I'm working for you and I decide to put $100 into a retirement plan, Compass Bible Church will put another $100 into that plan, will match whatever you do. We send $200 a month to a savings account that you don't look at until you're 65. But then there's a, there's a pot of money when you need it, when you're 65 or 66, that you can draw on so you can live because Social Security might not pay <clears throat> for all of your costs. Um, that's certainly something that I would recommend. It could even be within that 250 a month of savings. You could say, I'm going to put 50 of that away per month in a retirement plan. And I like to see you guys do that early. I didn't do that early enough. Nobody stood up in front of me and said, you should start this now. But you should start that as early as you've got some room in your budget to do. If you wait too long, you'll never do it. You'll say, I don't have the money to do it. I just don't have it. I can't, I can't do it. And I'm going to say, even if there's a corporate plan for you, that's free money. Why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't you let your employer give you an extra $100 a month? And then when you're 65, you saw what it did over 10 years, right? Think about what it does over 30 years or 40 years. That begins to be a big number. Now, some of you may say, Jesus is coming back before then. It's a waste of my money. And I'd rather give it all to the church and Compass 2020 before that happens. And I'm going to say to you, great. I hope Jesus comes back too. I pray for that often. That's our eternal hope. And I wouldn't want a million dollars stashed away somewhere just for me if Jesus is coming back tomorrow. I would have probably not been a very good steward of my money. And if that's how you want to live your life, then I'm going to say live it that way. Um, clearly, at Compass Bible Church, we have a retirement plan, and we do a match. And we encourage everybody to do it because we think it's helpful, and we think you ought to do that if it's at all possible. It's a, good, it's a good way to do it. You don't pay any income tax on anything that that earns until you pull it out when you're 65. If you have a hardship, you can get to some of that earlier if you absolutely have to. But the earlier you can do that, the better. That's a great question. We had a question right here. Yeah, what would you say about investing in stocks or ETFs? What would I say about investing in stocks or ETFs? So that $250 a month we sent to Vanguard or we set aside somewhere, you're going to say, well, how should I invest it? An ETF is an investment vehicle like a mutual fund. You heard of mutual funds or ETFs? No? Okay, well, these, these are investment vehicles that are cool. You probably can't afford to buy a whole lot of, let's say, Apple stock, right? Because it's pretty expensive. I think Google, one share of Google is 1000 bucks. So how am I ever going to buy enough? But these investment bank companies, they, they create a pool of money. They take $100 from all of you, or they take $100 from 500,000 people. They put it all into a bucket of money, and then they got a guy that works for them, 
And then they invest that money in ways that they think can give you the highest possible yield. So you're young. I would say when you're looking at possible investments, there's only two or three or four categories. Even a mutual fund or an ETF that you described, you still have to be careful what kind of mutual fund or ETF you go into. You'll hear the term equities, which means the stock market. We're on a 10-year run where the stock market's gone up for 10 years in a row. And there's some that are predicting the stock market's going to go down at some point. It's called a correction. Sometimes the corrections are 10%. Sometimes they're 20%. Sometimes they're recessions. Sometimes they're depressions. But since you're young enough to weather some of those, your investment could go like this and then go, boom, and go, oh, I feel really bad. I looked at my investments and they're horrible. I had some friends that were going to retire till the dot-com crash happened, and they didn't have enough money in their retirement plan. So they had to work four or five years longer. And guess what? In a matter of a year and a half or two years, it's recovered that, and it's gone back up again. And now we're on another 10-year run, and there could be another drop. And for people that have studied this over a long period of time, they say investments in stocks are great. I could bring 10 people up here to tell you investments in stocks are the worst possible thing you could ever do with your money. But generally speaking, it's always been kind of a safe investment. Never buy one stock. If I had $10,000 and I bought 10 shares of Google and Google tanks, what did I just do? Not a problem. If I had $10,000 and bought one share of Google and I bought one share of Apple and I bought one share of Walmart and I bought one share of Amazon, and I bought one share of a health company and a biomedical company, and there's like 10 different categories. If I spread that across all those categories, then when one stock has a problem, hopefully the other nine don't. Does that make sense? Don't put all of your eggs in one basket, because that's risky. You can say, ah, oh, but Rick, look at what Apple stock has done. My dad bought some Apple shares. Rick Talcott bought some Apple shares in his retirement plan at $50 a share. And I said, if it ever went to 100, I'm going to sell. Went to 100 and I wanted to sell, but I didn't. Then it went to 150. I said, I must be out of my mind. Why am I not selling this? And it went to 200. And I said, I'm really out of my mind. I need to sell this because what's going to happen? It's what happened. It dropped back down to 150. That's the other problem with a single stock or a single ETF or a single mutual fund. Your mind starts to focus on how are my stocks doing? You know, how my, how's my money doing? How much did I make? How much did I lose? And I walk around campus sometimes and people say that, hey, did you see what the Apple stock did today? And I don't tell them, no, I didn't because I don't care. <laughs> Even though I have it, Apple stock. So I would say the type of investments, diversify if you possibly can. Some people say keep some money in cash. Some people say buy real estate. The sooner you can save money so you could buy a house or a condo if you have good jobs, I think a real estate investment is, is a fantastic investment because over time it's going to go up in value and it's going to be great for you. And when you retire at 65, you might have made more money in your house than you made in your 401k plan somewhere. But it's really hard to get in real estate. So the investment should be diversified. Different industries, different stocks, you can go in CDs. You can go in money market accounts. There's a whole host of different types of investments. I would stay traditional. I would stay diversified. 
I would accept lower risk. I would have rather be at a low risk and earn 3 or 4% than a high risk and earn 12%. Because if someone tells you they can earn 12% on your investments per year, I would not invest in it. Because very rarely does anybody make that kind of money over a long haul. Sooner or later, it's going to crash and burn. You might even get involved in a Ponzi scheme, which we have seen in our culture time and time again. People that are involved in Ponzi schemes where they lose their whole investment did not get in an ETF that's traded. You can get in and out of an ETF today or tomorrow. You can get in and out of a mutual fund today or tomorrow. You can put your money in a certificate of deposit that the federal government will guarantee up to 250000 and you can get in and out of that anytime you want. So it's a, it's a pretty complicated question, but you're young. So financial planners will say, invest in the stock market because you're 25. We got 40 years. If you look historically over any 40-year period, you're going to make 8 to 10% a year. So I think equity investments at your age are fine. Equity investments at my age, I'm 63. I'm going to retire when I'm 70 maybe. Depends on how much longer I can work. And so if I were to lose 30 or 40% of my investments right now, I don't have another 20 years to work after that to let it all recover. But you do. And that's what financial planners will tell you. Don't worry about ups and downs. Over a 20 or 30 or 40 year period, you're going to make a lot of money. More than the 2.5% that I put on my schedule right here. Great question. Who else had a question? Yeah. How does that spreadsheet change if you're in a highly variable job? Oh, that's hard. So a lot, of, a lot of people are in the highly variable compensated job category. It's not like PJ or me where on the 1st and the 15th we get a check and it's the same amount every month. Some people get paid 2000 a month for 12 months, and in December they get a bonus depending on what they sold or how the company did or some other formula, and they may get a $100,000 bonus. You're going to say, Rick, are you serious? $100,000 bonus? And I'm going to say, yeah. You go to work for Google, they got bonuses of 100000 a year. Apple's got bonuses. I mean, just look. Do you know what Tim Cook gets in a bonus every year? $75 million or something? Or stock options or big money? And you may start the next tech company and get bonuses. So then you have to, then you have to really do that save part that I talked about, right? If you get the big bonus, you have to set that money aside, or you get a commission on sales, you have to set that money aside. And you have to live on what you bring in every month. So there's two types of variable income. Some that give you like a draw against your commissions, where you know you have like three or 4,000 a month, live on that. Assume you're never gonna make a commission. And if you make a commission, then you're going to give as much as you can, save as much as you can, and don't spend what you don't, spend what you don't have. But the saving becomes even more important in that formula. You have to save the even out, the ups and the downs. If you're in real estate, it works that way. If you're a commissioned salesperson, it works that way. 
if you're in any other industry like that, it works that way. I was in the real estate business for 20 years before I came to work at the church. And 13 of those years, it was that way for me. The first three years, I made nothing. I had no income. Well, first two years, I had no income. And then I started doing some consulting, and I had some income because I had to live. But I didn't start making real income till later. And my income would go, blah, 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 boom, would go through the roof. And then I had to sit down and say, how much of this do I need to save until the next big commission thing comes in? And you have to make a reasonable estimate. And if you have a budget like this and you know what you're spending every month, you can make some sort of reasonable estimate. But that is a challenge. It takes more work. You can't do the other way of, I'm going to give this much, I'm going to save this much, I'm just going to spend whatever else I have. I think if you look over and the longer people are in these positions and the older they are, they can look at averages. They kind of know I'm going to make 50 or 60 or 75 or 120 or 250 per year. They can, you can get to the point where you get kind of comfortable with it. But I'm always like, <laughs> live on as little as you can, and that'll help even out these funny little blips up and down. Any of the adults in here, is that what you do if you're on commissions or variable income? Everybody's figured it out. But for me, just live on as little as you can, save as much as you can so you can, you can ride out the ups and the downs of life. That's really the best way to approach that. Don't spend too much on school supplies, right? It'd be real easy to say, well, my classroom really needs this. And the next thing you know, you spend 1000 bucks in your classroom and it wasn't in your budget. I'm not picking on you, but I'm just saying those are, those are how things happen. You know, I'm working in Sunday school, and they don't have what they need. I'm just going to bring it in and take care of it. The church can pay for the supplies that you need in your Sunday school room if you're helping in that ministry. Too much? You guys okay? Other questions? PJ, I think that's it. Unless you have another question. Boy, that was a softball question. Whoa. <laughs> Obviously, we didn't talk about this before we came in. When I look at the biblical example, it's always first to the local church. And I would tell you over your life, when you're giving as much as you can to the local church, your first priority should be everything I give goes to the church. That's what the church is here for. We're set up to do that. And that's where most, if not all, of your money should go. Now, parachurch organizations have sprung up, like missions groups, and even a compass if you're going to go to Utah and uh, witness to the Mormons, we allow you to tap into the other people in the church because we want you someday to be a missionary. Did you know that? When you go on these SDMs, one of our priorities at Compass Bible Church is you'll get a taste of that and you'll say, I'm going to do this with my life. This is what God has called me to do, to be a missionary. I'm going to be at a pat. 
And part of that is just the way it works is that you need to raise support to do that. Now, Compass Bible Church has all kinds of missionaries, right? We support them in a big way. You talk to any of the missionaries that we support, and you're going to say Compass goes way above and beyond what we ever imagined. Because we want them to do missions work uninhibited by having to raise money all the time. So sometimes we're over 50 or 60 or 70% of what they need because we don't want them to worry about this. So um, we want you to learn how to raise money. So back to your specific question. I think uh, what I've always practiced is I've determined what I'm going to give based on what I'm making. And I'm going to save. I would steal it or borrow it from my savings number before I borrowed it from my giving number. Because if you bifurcate your giving, well, my friend's going on this missions thing, and my other friend's going on this missions thing, and my other friend's going on this missions thing, and this other couple that I know, they're missionaries in Africa. The next thing you know, now you're not giving anything to the local church. And I don't see that in God's word anywhere. These parachurch organizations sprung up because the church wasn't doing what it's supposed to do. And so if one of your friends is going, I would try to find that date night line, that savings line. I wouldn't go to Chick-fil-A for a couple times. And I would pull money out of those other categories and I would give it to them. Because I would look them in the eye and say, maybe someday you'll be a missionary and this will be good. And I'll get the blessing of being part of what you do. Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be involved. I can't go, but you can go. So I'm going to give you 10, I'm going to give you 50 bucks to go. And then tell me how it went. When you get back, I want to hear from you. And they're going to, missions group is going to have a meeting. You're going to come. You're going to say all the great things that happened in London. All the great things that happened in Salt Lake City. And maybe you realize that, you know, I didn't even know how to share the gospel very well. I should have been better prepped. I need to, more, I need to learn more how to do that. So there's lots of good reasons for every one of you to go on an STM, a compass, and to ask all your friends to do it. And your friends ought to be able to find some way within their budget that they can do that. If they can't, do the example I did with Abby earlier. You walk up to them and you say, I wanted to give you 50 bucks a month, man, but I can't because I just don't have the money. But I'm going to pray for you every day, every single day. I can give you 10, but I can't give you 50 because I'm not going to go to Chick-fil-A once a month. So I'm going to commit to 10 bucks a month right there, or maybe 20 bucks a month. But I'm not a big fan of taking it out of the primary giving to your local church because that's how God set up this whole process to work. PJ will probably scold me on Tuesday when he comes in for that answer, but I'm a pretty conservative guy when it comes to giving to the church. If you choose to give 50 bucks to him and you take it away from your normal church giving and that's what God set on your heart to do, then you should do it and you should do it cheerfully. <coughs> Excuse me, you should do it happily. And you don't have to worry about the advice I gave you. You have the freedom in Christ to do that. Just don't forget about your local church because they, they need to pay PJ to be here every Sunday night. Kimberly, what did I miss? You guys went through this with me. You passed. <laughs> what have you done that's been super helpful? Because you don't have to do this. Remember, there's a couple ways to do all this. Every dollar. So you can write that down. Every dollar. It's an app. Find it on 
Android. Oh, I'm sorry, Apple. Go to the Apple store. Whatever tool you can find that works for you, that's the best, right? That's the best. Half of the people that I know that use Mint hate it. They get all bogged down. They don't like it. They stop using it. But, yeah. Uh, if anybody wants to do like a deeper dive into this, do you recommend books? A deeper dive. It would depend on the topic. Okay. So you could ask me afterwards. There's a lot of good writers on this. Um, Larry Burkett has written a lot on this. Um, for an easy read, it's The Treasure Principle. I love 90% of that book. I detest 10%, but I love 90% of it. Uh, from the old days, Ron Blue used to do a lot. So Larry Burkett, go back to Larry Burkett. He's got a short little book called The Treasure Principle. Everybody should read it. It gives you perspective. It gives you the God first in your life. And so when you, say, when, when you hear me say, give as much as you can, you're going to say, I got where he got that. I got that because God's word says that. And... That's what that book says. So it helps you with perspective. Why does God give me money? Why does he give me a $100,000 bonus? He gives it to you so you can give back to the church. And I've seen that in my life. In my life personally and in the lives of the congregants here, some of the most faithful people that give the compass, it seems to me like their businesses and their lives are flourishing all the time. And I'm thinking, you know why? They're faithful to give. And God knows if I give this guy a million bucks, I'm going to end up with a lot of it back because he's been super faithful to give it back. So I like Larry Burkett. I like Ron Blue as an author. Uh, Larry Burkett has a really big, thick book called Money, Possession, and Things. I think that's the name of it. Oh, uh, yeah. What did, I, what did I say? Larry Burkett. Randy Alcorn. <laughs> Glad he's here. Randy Alcorn does The Treasure Principle. It's in our bookstore. Randy Alcorn does the, the money, the other big thick book, Money, Possessions, and Something. Larry Burkett has some books. Ron Blue has some books. Anything that Randy Alcorn does is great, except for 10% of it, which I detest. <laughs> I don't like it all. You know, if you wanted to talk, you know, budgeting is easy. This is not brain surgery. You don't need to go to MIT and get a mathematics degree because I gave, I gave you the worksheets. It's simple. You, you can do this. It's all a matter of the will. What do I want to do? How do I want to live? If you want to look at investing, that's a different issue. There's, there's some other books I could direct you to. Um, yeah, it just depends on what your subtopic is. But Randy Alcorn is great. I've, um, his second bigger book is good. He's got a number of others. Stan Getz wrote a lot of books about giving. I like what he says. Um, there were a couple guys. It was fun because Pastor Mike hadn't seen this book. But there were a couple, um, I think it was Harvard, Harvard MBAs. And there were two guys that were on fire, totally sold out for Christ, on fire Christians, totally sold out for Christ. They're getting MBAs from Harvard. So you know what happens when you get an MBA from Harvard? You get a job. And you get a job with a lot of money. And they were afraid. They were afraid. He said, what happens if I get a job for $250,000 a year and I get sucked into the American dream where I need more cars, more house, live in the right house? I need, 
I need to, to be an accountability group that someone will keep me accountable that I won't fall into a materialistic view of life. And he found another guy and a couple other guys, and they decided we need to write a book. And it's called God and Money. God and Money. I forget the MBA guys. I thought it was a fresh look on finances. Um, I think our bookstore has it. Focal Point's given it away a couple times. Um, I've said, as, I've said, give as much as you can. It's one way to look at it, right? Do all this budget. If you have anything left over, give as much as you can. Their premise is only keep what you need and give everything else away. So they would take my budget worksheet and they would fill it all out and they would put their savings number in and then they would see what's left over. And if they went to the bottom and there was $1,000 left over, that's what they gave. If there were 2000 left over, that's what they would give. They wouldn't come up with some hokey 10% or 15% or 20% or 30%. They wouldn't do that. They would say, I'm going to live on the tightest budget as possible and I'm going to save a little bit and I'm giving everything else away. So it's a little bit different. Look at it. I love that book, God and Money. The other thing for maybe some of you older guys is for the first time, somebody actually went and said, we'll help you calculate what you need so you can quit working and you can do ministry 100% of the time. Or if you have this much in your savings or retirement, stop putting money in your savings in retirement. Because they were so worried that they would get too much money and they would spend it wrong. That they, could just, they got this group together and they wrote this fabulous book. So that might be the book I would go to first, God and Money. It's, it's very helpful. And there's a calculator involved. You can find out what's enough. But you guys don't have to worry about that because you're a college student and you're broke. But <laughs> see the paradigm shift? I gave you one which most people use. There's the other one that says... I'm only going to spend what I need to, and I'm saving a little bit, and I'm giving everything else away. How free would that be to live that way? Right? be pretty cool. Any more questions? Thanks for having me out. I enjoy this group.